Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Pamela McCordick. She is a author on AI. This is Technotopia. This episode of Technotopia is sponsored by CheapTranscription.io. Cheap Transcription offers 10 cent per minute transcriptions using our happy robots or 85 cents per minute using our human assistants. CheapTranscription.io is cheaper and faster than everyone else. CheapTranscription.io. This episode of Technotopia is brought to you by Typewriter.plus. Typewriter.plus is a full-service editorial agency that brings amazing editors from places like the New York Times and TechCrunch to work on your writing. Need a blog post, a white paper, a presentation? The Typewriter team can write or edit anything on nearly any topic. Visit them at Typewriter.plus for a free quote. That's Typewriter.plus. Typewriter.plus. Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Pamela McCordick. She's an author and a thinker on AI. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah. So you worked on a uh, you worked on a book. This could be important. Uh, Your life and times with the artificial intelligentsia. Tell us about that. Uh, this is in a way a memoir because I was in watching artificial intelligence from 1960 on. That's one nine six zero. Sure, sure, sure. I've I've heard of that. I've, that's a. Uh, I think that's a star date, right? Well, not many people had heard of it then. And in fact, when I was invited <laughs> to work on a book, uh, I had to ask the authors, yeah, I'd like to work on your book. What's the topic? And they said, artificial intelligence. And I said, uh, uh I've heard the term. <laughs> Can you tell me what it's about? So um, I've been watching it ever since. It's kind of a big spectator sport for me. Mm-hmm. So that's actually fascinating. So to talk about this, and I, I've been doing some reading on on AI at that at that stage. I think a lot of the the basis for today's machine learning was was theorized back then, but it was un, you were unable to implement it, right? Something like that. Oh, uh, very much unable. The technology just wasn't there yet, and in fact. That's not what the first AI was all about. It was part of what the first AI was all about. But in the 1950s, which we're talking about, really, um, most people thought intelligence was what very smart people did, like play chess or play checkers or, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And the idea that it took intelligence to uh, pursue something across pursue prey across the the you know the landscape let's say no that didn't that was instinct that wasn't intelligence well we've learned uh all of these are on a spectrum of intelligence Mm -hmm. so that's that's an interesting point so the so the originally they wanted they wanted these machines to be able to do very complex things so is that oh absolutely what was the thinking why why did they why did they start so big because that was what we thought intelligence was. Okay. Intelligence wasn't the other stuff. That any animal could do those other things, mm-hmm. but only humans could play chess or talk, answer questions, that kind of thing. Hmm. And I, that's actually a fascinating, fascinating uh, delineation. I mean, that's that the the idea that we need the 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 basic intelligent uh, aspects of our personalities and our abilities. Uh, to be able to do the more intelligent stuff, so the, oh, that's true. Yes. Hmm. So what what were they trying to do back then? What were they trying to build? <laughs> oh, they I mean... had lots of ambitions. They were trying to <laughs> trying to prove theorems in uh, 
you know, logic. They were trying to prove, trying to play chess. That was that was going to be it. You know, once you could play chess with a machine, mm-hmm. you had penetrated to the secret of intelligence. Okay. Yeah, that's that sounds a little bit. I mean, I, I know some uh, I know some pretty unintelligent people who can play a pretty good game of chess. So that's kind of well, a, exactly. I mean, think think of the dinner partner you might have who's a chess expert. Thank you very much. <laughs> Interesting. So, what was the uh, what was the effort there? What was the what was the goal? Was it just to think about the the basis of intelligence? Was or was it? Uh, the goal was really scientific. These Many of these people were cognitive psychologists, and they wanted to be able to model human intelligence in ways that we couldn't before. And the computer offered a way of modeling intelligence that was dynamic, which, you know, you just couldn't do with other kinds of things. And what does it mean to model intelligence in that in that sense? Was the idea and, to have, to have a, a working memory and a long-term memory, that kind of thing? Yeah, well, I'm not even sure we had such fine delineations in those days. Uh, we wanted to make a machine. Uh, we, this was not me. Uh, they wanted to make a machine that would imitate things that they have, uh, had observed in psychological clinics. Uh, okay, if, it, if a machine can memorize nonsense syllables the same way a human being can, we're getting closer to how human beings think. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting point. I, it kind of reminds me of my third grade. I did a third grade a uh, um, science fair project about which is faster, the computer or human brain. And I had the I had the computer do a bunch of math, and it was kind of obvious. But to me, at, at third grade, I was like, well, the computer can't do anything else but the math. Uh, the human brain is probably a lot a lot more malleable and a lot more useful than just this Atari 800 XL that I was using or whatever. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Hmm. So tell me about some of the uh, the characters back then. Was there uh, were there were there any uh, any any uh, any any folks who really had some uh, some wild ideas? Oh, everybody had wild ideas. Um, they were rather sober in public, but mm-hmm. you know, you got them talking after midnight. They had wild <laughs> ideas. But the wild ideas have basically come to pass. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they were wild, but they were they were right. Uh, give me an example of that. What's what? what have, where have you seen that that somebody uh, somebody's uh, gin fueled uh, ramblings have, have become <laughs> no, nothing uh, nothing so <laughs> elegant as gin? <laughs> Maybe a glass of sherry. All right. Uh, well, I I can remember people saying, you know, we're going to have machines that can tell what we're thinking, and I would look at them and say no no that's that's really quite impossible but we do have machines that know in many ways what people are thinking uh they can read our faces i had a, an example the other night i was talking to a guy whose specialty is uh ai in education mm-hmm. and he said you know it isn't just the machine saying oh you got that wrong um you know the real answer is x what the machine does it has a little camera and it studies the face of the student, and it can tell whether the kid is the kid, anybody, the student, is frustrated or angry or really challenged or any of those things. And it adjusts its teaching methods to accommodate exactly what that person is feeling. Now, that's pretty amazing. 
So the so the the original statement was that this this guy this professor said or whoever this guy was said that they would know what we're thinking. But I think it's interesting that you're saying they know what we're feeling, which is uh which I don't know if I'm being too uh, too AI in the 1960s, but that's that sounds like sort of a dichotomy there. Uh, no dichotomy. Feeling and thinking are very very closely intertwined. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marvin Minsky, one of the founding fathers, wrote a book which said feeling emotions are what make us uh, move ahead. Because if we only had logic to rely on, we would quit the first time uh, you know, we got frustrated. No, we have feelings that we want to, we really want to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. And so those feelings drive us forward. Yeah, because I, I think I, mean, I was imagining to myself, sure, we do have th- things that know what we're thinking. They they predict what we're going to type. They predict when we need a, I don't know, they tell us to stand up or they tell us to eat certain things, that sort of thing. But that's sort of that's almost quantitative. What you're saying is a, a lot more emotional and a lot more fascinating. And they are very much intertwined. Uh, it was a mistake, I would say, of the Greeks to divide reason from. Uh, emotion mm-hmm. they they are all part of the same package wonderful what what do you think the uh, what do you think the future holds you've you've seen you've seen the beginnings of this the inklings of this and it feels like now you're i mean if if we're being honest it's only probably a fraction or a single percentage point of what 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 we're, we've been looking for and i mean it's it's quite a bit actually uh but where, where do we go from here where do we go from here indeed uh, we are seeing AI move into so many fields that we never thought possible. Uh, I'm a writer. I've been a writer all my professional life. And I'm looking at programs that write very well. They mm-hmm. don't need my input. Or they can look at something I've written and say, yeah, you are going to finish that sentence this way. Uh, you know, it kind of takes you aback. Mm-hmm. But is that is that intelligence? So that's 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 kind of like the uh, that's kind of like the the chess game, right? That's the uh, that's the the trick pony that 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 clops its leg when it sees uh, certain things. Well, no, 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 because uh, we're talking about a much greater universe here. It's not clopping its its heels. <laughs> I know, I know, clever Hans, you're yep, talking yep, about. Yep. Uh, it's not clopping its heels to say, yes, that's right. No, that's wrong. It's saying, Pamela, what you were going to say is the following and never mind. I've done it for you. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And does, does that bother you? You've seen, you've seen things, you've seen things from the beginning to the end to today. Does that, does it bother you that this thing is, is starting to think for you? It's, it's startling, but it doesn't doesn't bother me in the mm-hmm. sense of, uh-oh, I think I'm going to be obsolete. <laughs> Maybe I will be, you know, too, too late now. But uh, what interests me is what you, you started out by talking about the good things that will happen in the future. Mm-hmm. I used to have long conversations with another founding father of AI called John McCarthy. Mm-hmm. John was at uh, Stanford and he did many, many things and, you know, won all kinds of awards for those many things. But John used to say, Pamela, the big problem is the literary problem. And I'd say, what do you mean, John? And he'd say, "Be to make a piece of literature, you have to have conflict. You have to have a villain. You have to have uh, 
somebody who wins and somebody who loses. And sure, that makes a good story, but it's really not the way history has worked out. On the whole, technology has been very beneficial for humans. But we write about dystopian futures because that's the literary way we, we deal with these mm -hmm. things. How can we write about a utopian future? Uh, I mean, I can't even imagine, I can't even think of a situation, maybe, maybe Plato's utopia. I mean, I can't even think of a, like a, like a pro, a non-dystopian view of the future, especially in fiction. What's the, what's, what's the conflict, I guess? Well, the co conflict is what, who will replace humans, and if humans are replaced, uh, will these replacements share our values? And if they do or don't share our values, what are the implications of that? And so on and so forth, John. It's, it's very, very complicated, as you can see. <laughs> what, do we get replaced, ultimately? I don't think so, but hey. <laughs> we might be the first species that doesn't get replaced. It's not that we'll get replaced. It's that we will occupy a special niche in the ecology, and the machines will be in a different niche, I believe. Hmm. Is it a is it symbiotic? Is it parasitic? Do we do we use the machines to help us survive that kind of thing? Uh, on the whole, I would say it's symbiotic. On the whole, I would say we yes, we will use the machines to help us survive. They will be our helpers. Mm -hmm. They will they will extend uh, the things that we like most about ourselves. I mean, I think that's the situation now. We're being we're being constantly extended by our cell phones. We're constantly being extended by online memory. I mean, when's the last time I've remembered a, a phone number, uh, <laughs> let alone an email address? I guess so. It's right. I think I mean they're they're already augmenting us to that degree. Absolutely yes. What does the world look like in twenty years? You know, I have made predictions in the past <laughs> and they were so so short of the mark that i've really stopped doing it well, it yeah. will be very different mm -hmm. what i would like to see is human beings doing what they do best and machines doing what they do best so i'll give you an example uh elder care uh, there are things in involved with taking care of elders or taking care of babies for that matter that only human beings can do mm -hmm. uh, we smell to each other you know pheromones and things like that uh, we have wonderful empathy or not as the case may be and so on but there's lots of stuff that can be subcontracted out to the machines and fine let them do all that nonsense let them turn uh, an elderly person over in bed so some poor caregiver doesn't put her back out. Uh, let the machines do all kinds of things that they can do very well while we do the empathy and the compassion part. Will will a machine ever be able to do the empathy and compassion part sufficiently? Why not? Why not? That's the, that's the interesting point. What, what if you don't have a, a caretaker to come by and, and, and sense the human, you the, you, the pheromones, as you say, uh, which are, which I mean, they're definitely associated with the, 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 the sense of what you need, right? Uh, um, do, but do we, are we ever going to outsource that to machines? Are we going to, are we going to have some little puppy machine that comes in and uh, gives us a hug when we're feeling down? Oh my gosh, we already do. Uh, <laughs> I think it's called an iPhone. <laughs> 
uh, well, that, but actually there are furry robots yep. that go into old people's homes in Japan and make them feel good. Yeah, I remember there was the uh, there was a the little seal, I think. There was a little you could you could feed the seal and it would kind of purr and do all that yeah. good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and we are hardwired to you know, be taken of advantage of that way, and mm-hmm. it's okay. So the the new book is about the new book is about the the history of AI over over the uh, since since you started writing about it. Yes, almost sixty years. Mm-hmm. What's what's kept you interested? I mean, aside from the obvious fact that we're <laughs> we're replacing humans with these robots. Well, for a long time, it was just the most interesting game in town. Uh, that's kept me interested, and I admire what's what's been done so much and i am so delighted to see things go out into the world from ai i'm going to give you an example mm-hmm. i went to hear um franz deval who is a great primatologist he studies the great apes and he studies chimpanzees and one i just went to hear what he had to say that was new about chimpanzees this was at the 92nd street y in new york and, you know, he, he had a lot of interesting things to say, but the thing that just knocked me off my seat was, you know, we really didn't know what questions to ask about our subjects, our animals, until AI told us what we should be asking. So there has been a whole mind change thanks to AI. Interesting. So what was the, what was the, uh, the AI telling them to ask? Uh, does the creature have goals? Well, yes, the creature has goals. Uh, does it learn? Yes, the creature learns. Uh, does it adapt autonomously to a very complex changing environment? Yes, it does. Boy, this, these are all the markers of intelligence. Mm -hmm. These, these creatures have intelligence. And the same can be said to a degree about uh, a machine learning algorithm that's able to pick out puppies in the, on, on Google Google Photos, I guess you could say. Yes, yes, indeed. fascinating, yes. fascinating. Well, this is uh, this has been great. So the uh, so the book is out now. The book is uh, this could be important. My life and times with the artificial intelligentsia. Uh, I'm gonna grab yeah, it. May, and, I say, uh, may I say why the why the title? Yeah, yeah, please. Um, I spent a good part of my professional life, 40 years in New York City, pulling on the sleeves of public intellectuals and saying, you know, (laughs) artificial intelligence, this could be important. And they would just laugh. Exactly. Oh, please, come on. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I think, I think as, as a journalist now, as a tech journalist now, I think I'm kind of lucky because everybody says, oh, well, yeah, obviously everything is computers. Like back in the, uh, back when I started, I guess around 2000, the New York Times had one page dedicated to technology. Now you could argue almost every piece of news is associated with technology. So that's, uh, so I guess we got lucky in that respect. You could indeed. Yes. (laughs) Pamela, this has been, uh, this has been wonderful. I'm I'm looking forward to the, uh, to the book. Okay. Thanks very much for talking with me, John. All right. This is Technotopia. I'm John Biggs. We will see you next week. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York, that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the Internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com. 